MNK Talk YA now presents A Crown of Wishes, Part 2, from the Star-Touched Queen series by Roshini Shakshi. MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished our last series of the season, which was the Star-Touched Queen duology by Roshini Shakshi. We finished A Crown of Wishes. And I got a couple of the things I wanted because the second book, while it's written by the same author and in the same world, and we have some like secondary characters are now the main characters, it's not a true sequel in the sense that it like picks up right where the other one left off or like is solving an ongoing problem. It's a new almost standalone story, but we did get to see Maya in the second half. Yeah, you won the bet. And I was so close to winning it because she appeared in like the last like couple chapters, but you still won. I concede to you. And that means you get to pick our next series that we read in 2021. So congrats. Oh man, I forgot that I won something. That makes me even happier that it happened. Yeah. But it's kind of like the bride ceremony from the first book where you get to pick from like an approved list of books. True. And I'm like a terrible decision maker. So I'll probably be like, maybe this one. And you'll be like, what about that one? And I'll be like, that sounds good. Okay. <laughs> God, I'm so bossy. No, but it, we make it sound like we like fight over which series to do next. I feel like one of us is just like, how about this? And the other one's like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, that's on our list. We want to read all of them eventually. So um, yeah, so I, um, I did like that this was a different story from The Star-Touched Queen. I, I liked that it was a standalone story and could be read on its own. I feel like you could even read this one out of order if you really wanted to like I don't think it would affect the story all that much yeah but we do get to see our characters Gari and Vikram who are the MCs of this book we finished up their journey so let's talk about the last half of this okay I think I probably said something similar last time I love the writing and I'll like read a paragraph and be like, this is beautiful. I love these analogies. I love how they express this emotion. And then I'll like finish the chapter and be like, wait, I'm so confused what just happened. And I think I said that happened to me in the last book and I thought it was because of like the break and everything, but it kept happening to me in this book too. So I don't know if it's something with this writer style and my reading style, but I kept getting confused. It's kind of a funny mix to be like, I think she captured this emotion so beautifully and perfectly and like love the words she picked. But then from an action standpoint, being like, I'm confused about like who did what or like how the rules work or like what happened in the scene. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, like you said, the writing is beautiful and you can just tell that the author took such effort to pick beautiful words and put them together in a gorgeous way. It was like reading poetry, really. But I think like Mm -hmm. poetry, sometimes... uh, words can be so abstract that you kind of miss the meaning or you miss the action behind them and I think yeah that was the pitfall for me in this book too um gorgeous writing but I think I personally tend to prefer books that are like really plot driven or really character driven or just like you know a a person in a book you can't stop thinking about who's super complex and 
I think those are just the books that I find more enjoyable. I think if you were someone who loved poetry and loved like beautiful verses, I think you would absolutely adore this book. Um, so I, th- I think it is just personal preference too. Yeah. And it was cool to learn about like this is kind of based off of different Indian mythology and we haven't read a lot of, mm-hmm. I haven't read much personally and we haven't read many books on this podcast that have Indian inspiration, right? This is our first one on the podcast at least. Yeah, I think so. Um, I've read a few things, like I read The Wrath and the Dawn by Renee Adia, which mm-hmm. drew a little bit on like Indian mythology, but yeah, this is the first one you've read on the podcast and I agree with you. Like I thought that was, like after the writing, the writing was my first favorite part of this book and my second favorite part was absolutely all that rich folklore in in legends that I hadn't been exposed to a lot for you know in a lot of other books I've read so I thought that was extremely important and really really a nice addition like we need more books like that absolutely and I know we said you could read these out of order so I apologize if you just read the second book and I'm about to spoil things from the first one but I personally also enjoyed this relationship more I think part of it was getting both perspectives because we had some chapters Mm -hmm. from Gory's point of view and some chapters from Vikram's point of view versus in the last book it was all told from Maya's point of view and I know we've talked about like the enemies to lovers thing and stuff before but I I like both of these characters and their relationship even more than I did the first book yeah I did too I still really enjoyed their witty banter and I did I at first I didn't like how the author had Gari's chapters from first person perspective and Vikrams were in third person. At first I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice. Why'd you do that? Um, but it did help me like remember who was whose chapter was whose. So I kind of didn't mind it from that hmm. point. Because I think both of their voices are very similar and it can be like super hard if you have like multiple points of view to like remember who's talking, I think. So introducing those two different perspectives was a neat way to do it. I didn't even like make that observation Mm. while I was reading or at least not like consciously, but it is funny because I, every time I read Vikram's chapters, for some reason I did like realize they were third person and be like, oh, I keep forgetting that it's third person or something. But I didn't realize that that's probably because half the time it's first person and I just, yeah. Okay, cool. Good to know. (laughs) So this second half started out where um, we have had one trial completed, but there is another trial we must complete. And we learned something interesting about the hosts of this Tournament of Wishes. Lady Kaveri especially wants something very important to her. Yes, and this is going to be another place where I'm like, I'll say some words. I'm not sure if I fully understood everything that was going on, but she wants the Serpent King's venom. And part of that is because her sister has been, the rumor at least, like basically forced to marry him. And if you have his venom, you can control him. And so the thought, at least the way I interpreted it, was she wants to free her sister from him, his control, right? Yep. Absolutely. And that's kind of interesting because when they finally get to the Serpent King's lair, he says that his wife actually married him willingly. And so he's like, well, who are you going to trust? Like, and he tells her a bunch of stories, which I kind of enjoyed, where he was like, you know, in this one story. I love that. It was a great mm-hmm. way to like show different perspectives of the same story without just being like, well, he said this and she said that. Like, it was a, it was a really pretty poetic way to like share how stories can have multiple perspectives and I also love that you had to solve a riddle to get to his lair and I'm really proud that I didn't peek ahead of time and I solved the answer myself oh good job 
which never happened. <laughs> I know. I was like, I, I thought about it and I was like, blood. I bet the answer is blood. And then a few pages later, I was like, oh yeah, I got it. I suck at solving riddles. So that was exciting for me. <laughs> I think I, I thought it was like your name or something. I for, oh. Do you remember the riddle now? I didn't get it right, but I knew it wasn't a lot of things that it could have been. <laughs> if that counts for anything. So the riddle was, to one it is invisible, yet be careful if you lose much. To some it is everything, a history to clutch. Though it is life, it cannot buy time. Speak wrong and I will take it as mine. And I think maybe I only thought it was a name because then the nameless like appeared or like the name, I don't know. Then we ran into the nameless and I was like, oh, he must like take your name if you get it wrong. That's such a good point. And certain lines in there do work, but a lot of them don't. So I should not have been, and I wasn't super confident. I was just like, that was like kind of where my mind was before we realized it was blood. Um, So I love that clever little riddle. And I'm proud of you. Good job. I know. (laughs) Um, I also really liked when Gari is trying to figure out who his real wife is because seven women appear when they're like trying to confront him and none of them are giving a clue as to who is his real wife and so I thought it was kind of smart like Vikram throws a knife at the king like pretending like he's going to stab him Mm -hmm. and the one woman who like cries out in surprise or like fear like reveals that she's his true wife and that she actually did love him. I kind of like that. Yeah. I also loved how she was like walking by and being like, if you help us out, we'll free Mm -hmm. you. And she said that to like all seven of them. But again, she had the wrong story, at least initially. So um, that was not a tantalizing (laughs) offer. No. (laughs) This is one of the places where I was kind of confused about some of the choices they got to make in this realm and like what the trade-offs were or like what I felt like the stakes changed and I was Mm. confused about what they had said or Mm -hmm. done but like the individual aspects of the scene I really liked and then this is where on their escape out the like poisoned river or whatever is like coming through the ground and Gori's leg gets splashed or her leg falls in or some of the poison gets on her leg and Vikram has to like run her to safety and we weren't sure what was going to happen to her after that. I know that was kind of interesting too because Asha comes back in at that point and yep she knows her poisons. Yeah she's (laughs) like hey this is the same poison as my poison so I can probably draw it out Um, and then it's interesting because Gari is then left with a blue star in her leg which matches like the blue stars that the Vishikana wear. Yeah. And again, we see that play out partially through the rest of the book because some of it was a little bit confusing. So she has like the power, basically her leg can like protect her from additional poisons or something because we see, this is totally jumping ahead, but when she goes back home and her Mm -hmm. brother tries to poison her, it doesn't work. Right. Yep. Because she has that like protection. But she doesn't have it to the point where like her touch is deadly to humans. Right. right. Thank God. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been an interesting twist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I also really liked that we learned a little bit more of Asha's character because I would say like one of my other complaints about the book is I wish there had been more secondary characters. Um, like we have secondary characters, but I w- mm-hmm. I wanted like a deeper connection to some of them. And I think Asha could have been one of those characters. I think her chapters were just a little short, but we did get we did get to know her a little bit more. So she also had uh, a bad prophecy around her, which was similar to Maya. Um, her prophecy was that she would be a young widow 
Mm-hmm. And since women have to commit, you know, immolation when their husbands die, so they have to like throw themselves on the funeral pyre, the Vishikanya kind of justified taking her because they said like, oh, we're actually saving you from a bad fate because you're destined to be a young widow and die young, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like a little bit misguided, but it it's a better motivation yep. than just like we took you from your home. Like they had good intentions, even if it was a little bit, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a great way to kind of like bring a little bit more complexity to her story. Well, and I like to, I think we saw through her eyes a couple other interactions with her quote unquote sisters and mm-hmm. like they do love her they made the choice differently than she made the choice and I think that's where she's like she's frustrated but she also loves them back and there is this like familial mm-hmm. relationship between her and the sisters it's not like us against I don't know like they're not again purely bad or like I, I like that it was a little bit more complex than just right. like these people are my enemy or these people are bad or whatever yeah there was like a nuance to it which was important I felt and I loved her, like, curiosity about the world and how she, whenever she was able to, like, try something new or touch something or taste mm-hmm. something and, like, it was some nice humor. I like how she kept eating the flowers. Yeah. <laughs> and she was, like, and it was such a cool, a cool bit of writing, too, where she was, like, what do petals feel like? And she was, like, they feel like silk dipped in water or something like that. And I was, like, oh, that's, like, such a cool way to describe it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I enjoyed her. I wanted to see more of her. Oh my goodness. Some of those questions, I was like, how would I answer this? Because I am not very poetic. And like the questions were like, what does sweet taste like to someone who can't taste or, you know, can only devour desire or whatever. Desire, like they. Yeah. <laughs> but then I also have questions about that because I sort of got that she killed off anything that was living that she touched. But like, what about like cookies? Why couldn't she eat cookies? <laughs> I don't know. That was a good question. <laughs> maybe i don't know but that's a small (laughs) detail but i was i was like just bring her a cookie (laughs) give the girl a cookie (laughs) some sour gummy worm something (laughs) um but i did i love that idea too that while she was at this tournament and in this other world there was this area that she could interact with Mm -hmm. and her magic wouldn't or her poison wouldn't kill things off and like I don't know seeing her oh I can put my feet in the water or Mm -hmm. oh I can yeah pick this flower and eat it (laughs) some might too (laughs) um so after Gari and Vikram get the venom they bring it back to Lady Kaveri they don't even bring it back right or they they hide it for a while because they have the second trial in between. Right, right. Oh, and that second trial was interesting, too. So some writing appears in blood that says, I could make a meal of this desire, couldn't you? Which is creepy. And they had just been, like, finally acknowledging their feelings yeah. for each other. And then Gory needed, like, a little break and went to the bathroom. And, <laughs> and then came gone. back. And he's gone. And the oh. blood is there. Yeah. Talk about tension. <laughs> that was, like, a good stakes raised. Totally. Yeah. I did, like, the, the timing of that a little bit. Um, and also, this was kind of... This was very interesting and creative, how they have to find the second half to the key to immortality. And Vikram has to, like, fight through his fears. And I like that Gari has to eat through hers. That was so creative. I was like, I would never have thought of that. Like, she has a wall of fear that she literally has to, like, chew through to get to Vikram. Uh, Love that. It was so visually, in a good way, gross. Like, I mean, like, Mm -hmm. it made me uncomfortable to read it, which I think was the point. And, like, it shouldn't have been a comfortable scene. But, yeah, it was very creative. 
And I sort of liked, because um, this is something I think I mentioned in the first half, I wanted to see more of what the other contestants had to do. And while we didn't get that in the second half, the fact that they were kind of split up and dealing with their own fears and their own like challenge around facing them kind of gave me a taste of that at least that like yes everyone's experience is a little bit different but they still Mm -hmm. have to like come through it and survive but I was a little bit confused too about like why the rules worked one way for one of them and like part of me got it and thought it was cool that they were different but part of me had a lot of questions about how that worked or or maybe would have appreciated seeing some other contestants still going through yeah but it was like a very visual disturbing interesting scene (laughs) in a good way yeah like as it should be um yeah we do see like some contestants we see like some lovers like entwined in each other's arms but yeah I was I also was hoping for a glimpse at some other contestants just to kind of like feel like it it felt like Gary and Vikram were the only ones competing it really did well and to your point about secondary characters it would have been interesting to like be a little more invested in some of the people who failed because we do at the end see some of those people who like their stories leave but they like have either like some kind of curse or they did die or something like that and then we Mm -hmm. also before they went down to see the serpent king and we see all those bones around and we later find out those were like gory and vikram's past who failed (laughs) or whatever i thought like that was so interesting but i almost wanted it fleshed out more or to have a little more like meat on the on those bones Mm -hmm. yeah it would have been more terrifying if we had like known someone who was in that pile yeah like even if they weren't a good person but still just to like see something go bad (laughs) like to actually like feel a little bit invested in something going bad yeah and then the nameless come back with a vengeance (laughs) because that's like what they're all about Uh that's what they're all about and they attack asha because they want the vial of the serpent blood or the serpent venom did we talk about the orchard yet that was Uh, before this right it was i was going to skip it because i didn't understand it Okay, I didn't fully understand it, but we did Vikram through the gold fruit and it like somehow went into the past or the future or I don't know. I think this was like the time thing where it was him. Mm-hmm. I think that's where he stole the fruit that the people accused him of in mm-hmm. the first half. Queen Queen Tara's people, right? Yeah. But like I almost wanted more of that because I was like, oh cool, it did come back. But like I didn't quite have enough context to be like, oh now I totally get it and like that makes sense. But I did like that it circled back a little bit. That would have been like a big open question otherwise. Mm-hmm. But I I agree that it was a little bit one of those areas that was a little confusing at the same time. Yeah, I, I was glad that Queen Tara did come back, even though I agree I was a little bit it was a little cloudy for me. Um, and then. So you kind of got your wish with the Vitala coming back? Uh, Kind of. So it was Kubera who has disguised himself as the Vitala. Doesn't really count. It made me like it less, though. I almost It made me want Kubera to be, like, more invested as Kubera later on Mm. or something. Like, I thought it was kind of cool that he was there and, like, sort of felt for them and whatnot. But I was like, oh, (laughs) if it was you, then what? I, I don't know. Something about it also, I felt like I lost something in that realization yeah um and then we have the sacrifice yep that they have so i liked this i liked that kubera said like i'm not gonna take anything that you wouldn't have given up anyway and i liked i really liked vikram so he's he says what i took from vikram was your faith and your resilience in your dreams 
And it was kind of like, yeah, it's at certain points during the tournament, he had lost faith. And at some point he, he was helpless and lost his resilience. And he lost the dreams he had before he got the invitation because like his life is so changed now. Mm-hmm. And what did you think about Gari's sacrifice? Well, so hers, the thing I actually really liked that hers was both, it was like the sense of control or something was what she lost, right? Mm-hmm. But she also had like a physical representation of that because her hand, her right hand is now like sometimes glass or like always glass, but sometimes it feels like a hand and sometimes it doesn't. And um, whenever she tries right. to wield a weapon with her right hand now, she's unable to. Mm-hmm. And I like, I love that duality of it. Like, yes, it was like an interesting thing about this loss of control. And I saw how she had kind of experienced that throughout. And I kind of like that there was a representation of it, but it bothered me that she had a physical representation of it, but Vikram didn't, did he? No. And that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So it just, it bothered me a little bit, but like, it just felt unfair. Yeah. <laughs> But I thought it was cool. I liked her. I liked that she had both sides of it. Like, I, I thought it was a cool way to be like, technically she already gave it up, but it was like harder to deal with because it was still sort of another level that she hadn't given up on her own. Yeah. I feel like her sacrifice was worse than Bikram's, <laughs> personally. Well, be- because of the glass hand aspect, without the glass hand aspect yeah. of it, it would have been similar. So I just felt like Vikram should have also had maybe not a glass hand, but something that like represented all that mm. stuff he had given up that like, while that was true, he also had like this reminder or this like, I don't know that I, I just think that would have been cool. But I agree. I really also did like the wishes that they got and what they wished for. Yeah, it was so smart. Like, Vikram could have wished for anything, and I think what he chose was very, very wise. So his wish, he wished for others to see his potential, which is, like, perfect because he's been worried this entire time that he's going to be, like, a puppet king with no power and his council isn't going to take him seriously. And we kind of see that changing uh, when he goes back to his kingdom. And, again, he didn't wish for something to be, like, actually different. Like, he didn't wish... Yeah. Like, I like that it was seeing his actual potential, right? Like, it was... He still had to work for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he had to believe in himself, and he had to... Yeah, he still had to do all the work. He just wanted people to recognize it, which was so smart. Yep. And Asha got a wish, too, which I was happy for her. And she... I don't actually... What did she actually wish for? I mean, basically, the ability to choose between her human self and her Vishikanya self, so she can, like, go back and forth, right? Yeah, I think she kind of... It, I interpreted it as she wished to have freedom from the Vishikanya and kind of like choose her own path. And I love that it was like a choice. It wasn't like, oh, I want to be human again. And she just like turned mm-hmm. her back. Because again, we had seen that there was like true affection there and like... And loyalty. And yeah. loyalty. And they had given her a lot. But we obviously knew she was like so curious and interested in the world and like wanted to go out and experience things and like interact with people without killing them and stuff like that. So I, I kind of like that she had the best I thought she was going to become human if anything so I was kind Mm -hmm. of like surprised and a pleasant way that she kind of had this choice and could go back and forth I agree she got the best of both worlds right and that's what I wanted for her really (laughs) (laughs) um and then Gari's wish was pretty interesting too so she goes home to her kingdom and finds that Nalini... It was also cool that she could keep her wish for a bit so she like left the tournament of wishes with a wish not like a granted wish, but like she hoarded it for a little. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she goes back and finds that Nalini, her friend, has actually not been in prison the whole time. She's with Arjun, and the whole time Gari felt that Nalini and Arjun betrayed her, but when she 
finds them, she realizes it's the other way around. They think she betrayed them. Um, So she's trying to kind of prove where the wires got crossed. And before she can kind of prove that she's loyal to them is when Skanda poisons Arjun. Technically, her and Arjun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But she's got her little star on her leg. She's got her protection. And... This was kind of cool. I liked how they ended up dealing with Skanda because she sends him to the dungeon, basically, because she's like, oh, he poisoned his general. Um, And her threat and his punishment is that she's going to erase him from memory, which I thought was so fitting because, Mm -hmm. like, throughout this whole book, we've learned, like, how stories are so important and, like, that's the legacy that sustains you. That's like the whole reason Kubera had this tournament. So I thought it was like a very, a very fitting end for Skanda. Well, and especially because Skanda was the one who like played up these stories to make both Nalini and Arjun and Gori like suspect or like not trust each other. Like they each heard right. half of the story or whatever part of the story or one version of the story. And you're right. I loved between what we heard done with the Serpent King, what Kubera kind of was preaching throughout with the storybirds, with Skanda, with, I mean, like, this reoccurring idea of, like, the story can look different from different perspectives or over time or, or whatever, and how powerful yeah. stories are because of that, because your perception or your understanding of a story can literally change <laughs> the path. Yeah. I, I did love that idea, especially as lovers of stories. That was a... I love when, like, books talk about things and, like, make readers or books or stories or whatever, like, seem really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, you know your audience. Or, or just, like, gives a nod to, like, the importance of them. Yeah. Because like, it's true. how poor would our lives be without them? Oh, my goodness. The worst. <laughs> oh, and then I also really liked that Gari gives her wish to Nalini. So she doesn't use her wish to bring Arjun back. She gives the wish to Nalini to make that decision and to kind of give her that power, which I, that's like a very small nuanced decision or choice, but I really Mm -hmm. appreciated it. I agree. Especially when we've seen all the hard decisions she's made, because it's easy to like judge someone for their actions when you see the outcome. That's not great. But if you don't know what the choice, like maybe that was still the better choice between two things. Like I feel like um, when we, we saw her reflect on things back in the palace, like she kept at least trying to make the right choice to protect people, but sometimes people got hurt in the process. Mm -hmm. And I love, yeah, it's like, instead of making the choice for someone else, give them the power to like, don't assume you know what's best for them. Yep. Yep. And then um, I also liked that Vikram kind of admitted like, Hey, I need some time to figure things out without you. Um, I liked that they didn't like immediately fall into each other's arms and like that was Gory asking for the time right she was like I need to go deal with some stuff and that's why he kept every day being like is she ready is she ready is she ready yeah yeah but I kind of feel like it was with it was kind of with both of them like they both had stuff they needed to do so I kind of yeah. I really liked that um they respected each other and they cared for each other but their priority was still to like go solve the problems that they had come in here for, sort yep. of. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I liked when she finally comes back and sees that he made her a sword garden. Like yeah. She wanted. <laughs> and I even liked how she sent him the uh, wooden crown, like that there were kind yes. of all these like nods to their inside jokes and stuff. Yeah, that was sweet. And even their like assumption that, oh, well, he's getting, I don't know. I love like the miscommunication when it's being addressed really quickly so I like that scene in the garden where I was like well but you did this how am I supposed to know you did you said this and then they're like using the snake so this is another interesting thing Vikram also got like a pet snake that helps him 
determine if someone's lying, which I thought was really cool. But also I was like, wait, how come he gets like no sacrifice and a gift? And a cool pet. And then Gory gets like a double sacrifice and no gift. And a dead body on her hands. Yeah. (laughs) But whatever. Uh, I actually researched that snake a little bit. Well, I started researching oracular animals. Oh, awesome. um, Like animals that were used for prophecies. And boy, did this take me down a weird rabbit hole. Ooh. Did you circle back to, wasn't there something where we had to tie a chicken to your leg that we read about or something? (laughs) So I didn't go there because I was specifically researching snake oracles. (laughs) Um, I want to see your actual Google search terms now. (laughs) Oh, no, you don't. They're real bad. And I thought it was going to bring me to like the um, Hindu mythology of the Naga, mythical beings who are, you know, half human, half cobra, Mm -hmm. kind of like the serpent king. Instead, I went on this rabbit hole and I found the Olympic god Python, who was an an earth dragon represented in Greek mythology. So apparently he is the largest snake in the world, according to Greek mythology, and he was the original oracle at Delphi, which we've heard about. Um, So Python was a child of Gaia, Mother Earth, and he was said to inherit all of her wisdom and knowledge, and he was the um, guardian and protector of like the city at the center of the earth. And um, he was the guardian of the oracle princess Pythia and inspired her magical visions. Okay. However, the snake python did not have a very happy ending because Zeus was like, you know, being a bastard and he slept with the goddess Leto and she became pregnant with Artemis and Apollo. And Hera was really jealous, so she sent Python to pursue Leto throughout the lands to prevent her from giving birth to the twins. Oh, man. Yeah. So when Apollo grew up, he wanted to avenge his mother, and so he pursued Python, and he chased it to the Oracle of Gaia at Delphi, and there he slew the dragon. I always feel bad for all these Greek gods and goddesses, because they all just, like, there's so much cheating. There's so much uh, fickle human stuff going on between them. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that um, you know the catechist that Hermes carries? Mm-mm. Like the staff? Okay, yeah. It's like a symbol of medicine, the catechist. Um, so that was given to Hermes by Apollo. Uh, so it's just kind of interesting that like it has serpents around it. And hmm. Apollo like is known for killing the serpent. Uh, anyway, then I started looking at just other animals involved in uh, prophecies and fortune telling. And this is pretty cool. So Oracle Bones, also known as Dragon Bones, were used in the Shang Dynasty of China for divination. So they were, the bones were actually like the shoulder blades of oxen or turtle shells that were used to Hmm. basically foretell the future. So essentially anyone who wanted to kind of know how their day was going or if they wanted to consult an oracle for some event um, they would go to a fortune teller and they would ask them a question so let's say if someone wanted to know if they should take their cattle to market or if they should go to visit a friend on a certain day or whatever um, this fortune teller could use these bones to predict how their plans would work out so if a person would, would ask, like, should I bring my oxen to market next month? The fortune teller would carve the symbols for the person, oxen, the next month, and maybe like a later month on the bone. And then a hole would be drilled in the bone and a hot poker would be applied. And they would see how the shell or how the bone would crack. And if the crack went one way, it would mean like the person should go to market with the animals on this mm-hmm. day 
or if it went the other way, it meant they should wait for like this other day. And it's kind of, I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, they said that some people think that these markings became like recognizable words that were used to develop Chinese script um, and Chinese writing. That's cool. But it was just kind of interesting that like these people were consulted by everyone from like peasants to kings. Hmm. and I love that yeah That's so cool. I really like that too and it was just like they relied on them to make decisions about all kinds of choices in their lives like matchmaking having children travel and financial decisions um, waging war and I just kind of really liked that that was the way that people would kind of make decisions and, and they were animal bones I agree. I think it's so cool when, like, royalty is just like us. But <laughs> They also believe in horoscopes. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my research. I was also, like, just interested in the Serpent King and, like, the Nagas in general. But there are so many different stories about them. But I ended up kind of going down the path of one known as Kalia who is a poisonous naga who mm. lived in a river. And I think I just went down there because the Serpent King, like, fell in love at the river with his mm. wife. And, you know, like, so there was, like, river and naga and poison. So even though it's not exactly related to this story, this is kind of the story I, like, went down a little bit. So I guess um, at this river, because he was making all this poison as he was hanging out there, the water for four leagues in every direction from him boiled and bubbled with poison so like nobody could go near it like nothing living could go near it which also reminded me of asha a little bit um but there was one tree that grew on the riverbank i don't know this extreme significance behind the tree but there was just one tree there doesn't the um legend of the naga remind you of isa from daughter of smoke and bone yeah it does a little bit you're right i was thinking about that yeah okay so Kalia is like hanging out and like causing all this poison stuff and he was afraid of Garuda the foe of all serpents who had been cursed Mm. so that he could not visit without meeting his death this area which is why Kalia chose that as his residence so it was like the only place that Garuda could not come oh smart and these stories are like all like I feel like these epic stories so I'm very much summarizing certain things so you can have the abridged version at some point (laughs) the Radha who served the sage Durvasa took a walk across the river and like freaked out when she saw this giant serpent thing so she fled And told the people that she had seen this serpent in the river. And Lord Krishna was really upset. And he wanted to teach Kaliya a lesson because he had bothered Radha. So he went to the river. Mm. And when Kaliya saw him, she or he, I don't know if Kaliya is a girl or a boy. But the the serpent coiled around Krishna's legs and like prevented him from moving. So... Then the Gokul people came and they saw that Krishna was in the water and they were all like afraid and freaked out and they were like, Krishna, just come back to shore. But Kaliya was trying to escape and Krishna stepped on his tail and warned him basically to like leave everybody alone, which, you know, I'm sure that that just works usually, right? If you just tell a snake to go away. So then the next day, Krishna was playing and the ball like fell into the river And Radha, again, tried to retrieve it, but Krishna was like, no, I'll do it for you. 
And when he went down to the river, Kalia like grabbed him and pulled him in again. And this is like the the poisonous river. Whoa. So then the Gokul people come back and they're all like concerned and they're, you know, yeah. they heard that Krishna was in the river and um, basically at the bottom of the river, Kalia had trapped Krishna, like wrapped him all up and stuff. So then Krishna started expanding himself and like forced him to be released. So he, like imagine he's wrapped in a snake and he's just like growing bigger and bigger. Then he began to jump on Kalia's head. Mm. So I guess Kalia had multiple heads. And as he did this, the poison like left the snake so it couldn't pollute the river anymore. <laughs> and then Krishna sprang onto the head and assumed the weight of the whole universe, beating him with his feet. Okay. So basically, he slowly started to kill Kalia because he was like stomping him with all of this weight and Kalia's vomiting blood oh. and like dying and like things are looking okay. really bad for him. But then his wives came and prayed to Krishna um, and worshipped him and, like, asked for mercy for their husband. So Kalia, at the same time, I guess, is like, dude, Krishna, I surrender. You're the greatest. I won't bother anybody anymore. And so Krishna pardoned him after doing one final dance on his head Mm. (laughs) um, and asked him to leave the river and go and that he wouldn't be bothered by Garuda at the same time. So, yeah. Krishna came back out and the people were like, oh my goodness, you survived. And they saw like the poison leaving the river and everyone was happy. And so everyone danced and that's basically the end of the story. Wow. But I just, I, there were certain aspects of it. Um, and I probably like missed some really important things and I don't know all these characters super well, but I just love some of these aspects of we have a Naga, we have a poisonous river, we have like wives begging for mer. I don't know, just certain things about it did kind of remind me of... The story around the Serpent King. So it was kind of cool. But there's so many different Naga stories that you could research. And I actually really like learning about like Hindu mythology Mm -hmm. and stuff. So I feel like we we should maybe consider another book next year where we explore these myths further because there's a lot there. Oh, I'd be definitely down with it. It's just so refreshing. Like it's so refreshing to be reading something that's not based in like Western mythology. And it makes it harder to predict because I don't know... You know, like if something, I'm trying to like Lunar Chronicles, right? It's like, oh, we know the story of Cinderella. So like we had certain predictions about how things were going to work or whatever. And while it's still fun and still creative twists, it um, there's something even cooler about like if I have very little context for it to start and like yeah. being exposed to and learning. And then when we do our research and it like gets even more mm-hmm. color and layers to it, it's, you learn a lot. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so one thing we still have to do is we still have to come up with a fan name. Can we be songbirds? Ooh, yeah, because we're reading, we're kind of telling stories. I mean, not really, but like, we're reading stories. (laughs) Well, we're, I mean, I just told the story of Krishna and Kalia, and that was definitely one version of it, and there are very many (laughs) others. Yeah, I guess so. We tell, um, like, not fully formed versions of stories (laughs) that should be taken with a grain of salt. (laughs) Songbirds. We're we're like the songbirds that are just leaving the nest. Yeah. Or fledglings. Or, I mean... No, I like that. I really like okay. it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we also have to give this series a rating, which I think is so hard because the books are so different. How many Serpent King wives out of... <laughs> let's give them 10 because it's okay. easier to do out of 10. Would you give... Oh, this is so That's hard because, I mean, if it was for the writing alone I would give it like a 10 mm-hmm. but if it was for like the plots or the character development I might I would give it a lower number mm-hmm. so I don't know six 
Yeah, I mean, I every I, I was gonna say six as well. So I think that I agree with that. Not that we have to agree, but I do agree. But I think every like even when people ask me for a recommendation, even if I loved it or hated it or somewhere in the middle, I'm always like, well, if you like this and that, like you should read it. Or if you're into the, you know, like I, I always have conditions for my rec or you know additional things to add to a recommendation. I will say though, I feel like six sounds lower than. Like, if she wrote something else, because I like her writing, I'd still be interested, maybe check out some reviews first, but I'd still be interested in additional stories she she writes, because I do love certain aspects of her writing so much. So I feel like sometimes if I say six, it's like, oh, this author just, just isn't for me. I think this mm-hmm. series wasn't necessarily for me, but I do, I would check out more of her work in the future. You know what I was thinking about, too, was um, I checked out some of her short stories, so I read mm-hmm. it was like a collection of stories star touch stories um and there was one i haven't gotten through it yet but there's one that is called death and night and it is about um maya and amar when yep. they were rulers of the other world and it just provided so much clarity of like how maya was really friends with nuriti and Love like that. that dynamic of her relationship with her friend and then also with Amar and it it upset me a little bit because I thought that's that story like if I had read that story and it had been incorporated into the first book I would have enjoyed it so much more just because like we would have gotten that rich depthness of the characters we would have understood their motivations better it was really missing for me and the fact that it exists but just in a separate collection of stories I thought that was really unsatisfying and I thought like it was really unfair for the author because I feel like I mean I I have no idea how she wrote this story but I don't know why she was forced to put it in a separate collection of stories because it ended up being like a separate book that was published anyway so like if you're thinking like from a sales perspective, like why wouldn't you just include that story somehow in your first book and just make it slightly longer mm-hmm. or even fleshed out enough where this could have been a trilogy or something? I don't know. But I just felt like that story should have been included in the main book. That's totally fair. And I haven't read them yet, but I also have like a collection of the novellas related to the same world. And another one ha- is from Asha's point oh. of view, I think, like after they come back from the Tournament of Wishes and I'm... I really liked her, but I, to your point, like felt like she needed more chapters. And I think we love secondary characters yeah. and like flushing out and like getting people's background. So I'm glad that these stories exist, but I agree. I I wonder if things were cut or changed to please someone in the industry and things mm-hmm. were lost from the the book. Because I feel like a lot of the pieces were there, but just like something that would have helped clarify or like I, I I trust that she like had some of these backstories or like like I just yep. wanted to know what it was like it wasn't it didn't feel like they weren't flushed out it just felt like I didn't know s- things important pieces yeah and it reminded me a lot of and like I don't I mean I don't mean to compare authors but um I think Lonnie Taylor did this in Daughter of Smoke and Bone really well because she you know she also had the burden of trying to convey two separate time periods like we -hmm. had to learn about Madrigal's journey and then we had to learn about Carew's journey and they were very separate time periods and I just feel like the way she did it where she was able to still go back in time and like we were fully able to see Madrigal and like 
you know, how she was living and like how she met, you know, her love interest. I just kind of expected the same thing from this book where we would Mm -hmm. still get like that time with the character, even if it was in a different uh, period. I just wish we got to more to spend more time in her past life because I think it would have made for a better story. Yeah, I, again, love the writing, wanted more from the story. So I almost wish these had been longer, to your point, like the two stories told over three books or something like that, just so we could go a little bit slower, like take me along on the journey a little bit more and give me some of this rich background side story, like context around what was happening, because it really was a beautiful world, beautiful Mm -hmm. writing. Again, I love the way she like expressed different emotions too. Like I really from an emotional standpoint, identified with the characters. It was more just like understanding some of the choices or, yeah, motives that confused me. (laughs) And it's frustrating because it's all there. Like if you put all the short stories together and read the books together, like you have the complete picture. I just don't, I didn't want to have to piece it together. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I got you. You want to know as you're, you want to be taken along as you go, unless it's like a mystery, but even that you want it to all make sense at the end instead of like trying to, pause and have us discuss and be like okay now it sort of makes sense absolutely (sighs) also it's just been uh 2020 has been a year and this is our last series of the season so i'm sure that didn't help with my ability to (laughs) keep up (laughs) process everything (laughs) i agree should we talk a little bit about next season or do you want to do that on our our recap i think let's do it on our recap okay what do you think yeah that's a good idea yeah we'll have one more episode before the end of the year, which is our, I think it's one of our more fun episodes mm-hmm. and we'll kind of talk about the season as a whole and some of the stats and our favorites and thoughts and some upcoming changes for the new season. Yep. I can't wait. In the meantime, can you tell me a joke? Oh, yes, but I mm-hmm. forgot. So let me... Or a riddle? I, I should have come up with a riddle. I think I actually told you last time I would, but I didn't. I, I lied. I'm a liar. <laughs> um... <laughs> I forgive you. But I'll find I'll find a hysterical snake joke for you. Oh my instead. goodness. How about that, that was bad, but I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> These are all so bad. I don't even <laughs> What do you do if you cross two snakes with a magic spell? Run. You get an adder cadabra and an abra de cobra. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy to say. Oh man. I like the Adra Cadabra. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Why, why are snakes so hard to fool? I don't know. They have no legs to pull. Oh. Yeah. Okay. These are bad. Good. Next time. That's good. Next season, I'll have even better jokes, guys. Y'all have to just wait and see. <laughs> My jokes will still be bad. <laughs> I don't want to make promises I can't keep. <laughs> well, mine will be as bad as normal instead of this. I feel like this is especially bad. <laughs> Um, yeah, anything else? No, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya, and we love to hear from you all. Hope everyone has a good end of the year, and 2021 looks even better. Although we still have one more episode, so we'll talk to you about next year later. (laughs) I'm like, never mind, I take it back. (laughs) Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. 
Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.